0: Well, thank you, choir. I want to ask a question before we get started uh, this morning. How many of you remember your very first traffic ticket? Let me see your hands. Anybody remember that day? Uh, I want to ask if your first traffic ticket was within the past week or so. Not that I'm, you know, I don't want to get that personal. But, you know, you have a a tendency not to forget those kinds of things, right? We don't forget our first traffic ticket. We don't forget the first time we, we get pulled over. I remember mine pretty clearly. It was about six months after... I had begun driving, I had just gotten my license just about six months or so prior, and uh, I was driving in an area, I mean, I was familiar with it, but I'd never really driven there a whole lot, I'd ridden through there a lot, and, uh, and so I was driving uh, during that particular part of the day, and, uh, and as I was making my way through that, through that, down that particular street, uh, I realized that I was in a school zone, and I realized around that same time that there are speed limits that are different in school zones. And uh, the way I realized that was because I was introduced some, to some really pretty colored lights that were behind me, and a uh, fella came, and, and uh, he had on the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the full uniform that, that granted his authority, and uh, he shared with me how I had broken the law, and, uh, and, and I began to sweat, because if you got your first ticket within the first few months of getting your license, you remember maybe what mom and dad would have thought about that. So all those things are running through my mind. And, uh, and then I had a brilliant, a brilliant, brilliant idea. I, uh, I, I realized how I was going to just toss a little statement out there and everything would be fixed and everything would be okay. And uh, my dad had been a lawyer at that point in this town for about 30 years or so. And uh, he knew all the lawyers and all the police officers and all the judges. And and, uh, and so I just thought you know, this would be an appropriate time to share that information with a police officer. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, hey, I'm in high school. Come on, you can do what you can do. And so I, 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 he, he's going through, he goes back to his card. he runs all his, all his information. He comes back with the, with the paper, and he says, that here's the fine, here's what you did wrong, and uh, here's when your court date is, or you can pay such and such a fine. You give all the information. And so the time was right for me to share that information. So I said, well, my dad is a lawyer in town, and he probably will understand all this, right? right <laughs> this guy right and uh you're thinking we i'm about to spring free and uh, he looked at me and said yes he will and uh that was my harsh lesson that you knucklehead you should not try that stupid kind of stuff and so it didn't work but i was looking for a free pass now don't look at me like you've never done that uh you you've done that i know how many of you no i'm not gonna ask that question Think about the last time that you got in trouble with uh, an officer for some speed related violation and uh, you gave an excuse, right? I uh, was going to church. Well, it was a Tuesday night. That was a little hard to believe, but it's the first thing you thought of. Or, uh, you know, my kids were screaming. I was trying to get away from the noise or whatever came to mind. And you, you threw that out. What you were looking for was a free pass. We love our free passes, don't we? We love whenever we get a free pass to something. You probably right now in your purse or in your wallet, you've got a card to a specific store or to a grocery store, and if you spend money in that place, the more money you spend, this has been your excuse for spending a lot of money there, but the more money you spend, you get, you get cash back or you get, you get gas or you get discounts or whatever. You love your free passes, right? We love our free passes you remember being in school when you were in grade school or middle school or high school or junior high whatever they called it back then and uh, you remember being in the hall and the teacher would say what do you do in the hall you need to go to class and what would you do oh i've got a hall pass teacher right it's your free pass hopefully didn't say it that way because you'd be introduced to authority in a whole different way but we like our free passes sometimes we push it just a little bit with our free passes don't we sometimes we uh we say things like you know i've worked in this company for 15 years. I've uh, been here for a long time in this company. I work hard. I work overtime. I don't get paid for it. I do things above and beyond. They won't mind if I take a few extra things from the copy room, or they won't mind if I take a few things out of that particular supply closet, or they won't mind if that's a free pass. I deserve a free pass. I want a free pass. Or maybe you forget your anniversary, Right? Oh, but honey, do you remember how long I've been working? I've been working so hard to provide for our family. And that's your free pass. You're saying, won't you just give me a free pass, a free ride on this one thing for crying out loud, just this one time, will you not give me a free pass? We like our free passes and we know how to throw the free pass card out there pretty often. Sometimes we even have learned how to do that with God. Sometimes when things don't go so well, we'll pull out that free pass card. Oh God, I I don't know if you remember or not. Uh, I seem to be facing some trouble here. I don't know quite that I'm the right one to deserve all this because do you remember I have been in church every Sunday for the last two months? Free pass card. God, I don't really understand why these things are happening in my life. I don't know why I'm facing all these struggles. I don't know why I'm so conflicted in my heart. I don't know why things are seemingly unraveling before my very eyes. Don't you know how much I pray? Don't you know how much I love you? God, I don't know why my husband chose to leave. Lord, I don't know why the kids are giving me so much trouble. I don't have any idea why my boss is making the decisions that he's making. I don't know why I lost my job. I don't know why I'm about to lose my house. I don't know why I'm losing all my money. I don't have any idea why life is going this way. God, don't you know what I do? I get a free pass. You know, interestingly, there were people a lot like us. 2,000 years ago, that that were in a church a lot like this one. They didn't have the walls and the air conditioning and the lights and those kinds of things. But really, at their core, they were people just like we were. Not a whole lot has changed in 2,000 years and they were tempted to throw out their free pass card before God. Interestingly, here, here's how we know, is that many of you have right there in front of you a copy of the Bible. And in the Bible, there is a book called 1 Corinthians. In fact, if you haven't already, why don't you turn there? We've been going through this book for a few weeks now. We're going to continue going through it until we get to the end of it. But this book, 1 Corinthians, is really, a, it's nothing more than a letter. In a sense, it is more because it's a letter that God wrote. He wrote it through Paul, the greatest missionary that ever walked this earth. And this letter written by Paul, inspired by God, is to a group of Christians, a group of followers of Christ, not much unlike you and I. They were in a city called Corinth. It was a very godless city. They, they had a real uphill battle in regards to living out their faith in the midst of that particular part of the culture. And uh, they weren't doing a real good job of it. They had a lot of issues in this church, in in the city of Corinth. And uh, Paul is addressing a lot of these issues. And he's helping them to understand who they are and what type of people they are and exactly where they stand before God. And he's dealing with the whole context. You won't see this uh, terminology, but he's dealing with this whole context of free passes and how we often expect a free pass before God. Before we jump into the passage we're going to look at this morning, I want to give you a principle You're going to see it on the overhead, and I hope you'll jot it down. It's a very important principle that's going to tie everything together. And the principle is this, is that there is no free pass to a mature life and to a godly life. There is no free pass. For some of us, we like free passes so much, and we like the free, you know, the shortcut, and we're always looking for the quicker way, and we're looking for the way around, and and we're looking for just a, a way that nobody has ever thought of. And if we're not careful, we often try to apply that to our walks with God as believers and as followers of Christ, to the point to where we will often mistakenly feel in our, mind, in our hearts and believe in our minds that there is a free pass. There is a, a, a shortcut, so to speak, to a mature life, to a, to a godly life. Well Let me just say there is no free pass. Uh, going to Sunday school doesn't give us a free pass. It doesn't give us an inside track to extra blessings from God. Putting a lot of money in a plate doesn't give us a free pass. Being a part of a church doesn't give us a free pass. Being faithful, consistent, week after week after week in going to church or going to Bible study or reading our Bibles or praying doesn't give us a free pass. There is no free pass. I don't know how other way to say that. There is no, no free pass in regards to a mature life or a godly life. And that's what we're going to see that Paul is addressing here in this particular part of his letter to the people in Corinth. Now, last Sunday, let me just say this. If you were here, who was here last Sunday? Let me see your hands real quickly. All right, a lot of you were here. If you were here last Sunday, you remember that uh, we made a very simple statement, and then I sent you out with a little project, not for the rest of your life, but for the next seven days. And what we looked at last Sunday was the truth that we cannot demonstrate the qualities of God. We can't demonstrate joy and peace and wisdom. We can't demonstrate any of the qualities of God. We can't experience the wisdom of God unless we cooperate with God's Spirit. So we unpack what that means. Uh, We unpack what it means to cooperate with God's Spirit. And I gave you a project for the next week. Remember that every time you sat down to eat a meal, just to breathe a simple prayer, hopefully you remembered and did this for seven days or close to it, you prayed a simple prayer of admission and submission. Nothing magical about it, but God, I admit to you that I have shortcomings and weaknesses and flaws, and I sin, and I cannot make it without your your leadership in my life. I admit that god i 'm not a self made person I need you, and now I submit, I admit, and I submit. Please, through your spirit, live your life through me. Give me wisdom. Give me direction. Give me insight that I might follow where you lead me. And that's what we did for seven days. Uh, Hopefully, for some of you, you're going to continue to do that. Hopefully, for all of you, you're going to keep that, that pattern in place. Well, here's what we need to remember, is that everything I said last Sunday is going to carry over to today. That wasn't just a standalone, okay, he already touched on that. Now I can pack that up and forget about it. All this whole cooperate with the Spirit stuff. Now I don't need to do that anymore. That was last week. No, it's going to carry on to today. And I have a suspicion it's going to carry on to next week and next week and next week. It is it is the key to living a life that is reflective of what Paul is saying here, especially in this passage that we're going to look at. Because there is no free pass. We know that now. There is no free pass to a mature life and ultimately. To a godly life. So let me, let me just set up what we're going to look at here. Paul to the church in Corinth, at the end of chapter 2, we're going to finish chapter 2, and move into chapter 3. Paul in his letter, at this point in his letter, he's already kind of given his introduction, and now he's in the middle of the hard stuff. And he is dealing with a church that on the outside looks a lot like this church, but on the inside they had deep, deep, deep issues. They had a lot of significant issues that were not reflective of Christ. And what Paul does here is that he explains three different types of people. And we're going to walk through them in the passage today. Three different types of people. And these three different types of people, we're going to let them be reflected by three different types types of chairs okay so i've got two chairs up here mike and i think uh, one other person is going to help bring another chair up here for us we're going to have three different types of chairs that are going to reflect specifically the three different types of people that paul is going to be dealing with here now some of you saw this chair when you walked in and you're thinking all right what's up with the high chair i told somebody first service this is our overflow seating uh we do have a better plan than this and uh so, in the event that we need overflow seating, it will not be that. So, you don't have to fear in weeks to come. So, this is our third year. It is a good thing, by the way, to, um, to use things that have already been used before. You guys can, I feel like a decorator. Just set it right here. Okay, great. No, can you move it over? I'm just kidding. I'm just trying to make you, make you feel like you're at home. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry to... Um, two respective wives (laughs) and other every other wife represented here all right so these are three chairs right three chairs that paul is going to touch on paul is going to deal with each one of these three chairs in this passage now i want you to i want you to understand something today before we begin to dig in here that that you every person in here you included will be found in one of these chairs by the end of this message You're going to know, more than likely, without me having to coerce or convince you, you're going to know which chair you're in. Either this one to your right, that one to your left, or this one in the very center. And what Paul does, he does brilliantly. He begins to walk these Corinthian believers, this church, through the whole concept of where they are in standing before Christ. And so let's jump in to verse 14 and begin to move through this passage. If you've got your Bibles... You can read along with me. If you don't, you can see it on the overhead there. It'll be very, very easy for every person here to follow. So let's jump in. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Paul writes to them and he says, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Let's let this chair to your right, this four-legged stool here, this common ordinary chair, let's let this represent what Paul calls the natural man. You may have never heard that terminology before, natural man. Well, what is the natural man all about? Well, let me just say that the natural man does not have a relationship with God at all. He may have knowledge or she may have knowledge of God. She may know or he may know of God in the same way I know of the President of the United States, but I don't know the President of the United States. And so I didn't say that this person doesn't know of God. What I said was this person does not know God. And Paul gives us in this passage, he gives us some 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 really real clues as to what this person is like he says first of all this person does not accept the things of the spirit of God in other words whenever you begin to talk about spiritual things even this message here as you begin to talk about the Bible and the principles that are there and the truth that's there and how God wrote the Bible for us through people when you begin to look at the person of Jesus and and you begin to ask questions who is Jesus to you what is your understanding of who the person Jesus is it's just foreign to the natural man the person who doesn't know God It is a blank slate. It's not even on their radar. In fact, the things of God are as foolishness to the natural man. That's why whenever you as a believer, as a Christian, whenever you kind of run in your circles, and I hope you have these circles of people that aren't believers and they don't know God, when you run in those circles and you talk about what God's doing in your life or, or God is teaching you or you're going through a trial and they say, how do you make it? And you say, well, you know what? My faith is what keeps me strong and I know that God is working in the midst of this hard time in my life and he's really training me and he's growing me and he's doing something and i can't see what it is but i trust him and i follow him with all my heart it's just a blank slate for them and 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 in fact they may even go so far as to not just discredit god but to discredit you as a follower of god because they're lost it doesn't mean we get angry at the lost person, the natural man. It doesn't mean we, you know, we stake a claim and we pick it. Oh, the natural people, you're going to go down. You know, you're going to burn. No, no, we don't do that. Jesus was the best friend of people that sat in this chair. People who were not even like Jesus liked Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, and it was because of the attractive quality of his life. But this person who sits in this chair, the natural man, the, the Bible says, doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. He's done, they are foolishness to that person. In fact, he goes so far as to say he cannot even understand them. It's just a complete disconnect. There are people that are here today, this is the seat that you sit in. And I'll say, for we as a church, for me, I'm glad you're here. And I hope you keep coming. And I hope that that, uh, at some point that that the the truths of God's word begin to make sense and they begin to connect and you begin to see the part that God wants to play in your life and to see your desperate need for Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. But for now, this is the seat that you occupy. The Bible says this is the natural man. Well, let's look at the next person. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the next two verses, verses 15 and 16. Paul moves on to the second person. He says, but he who is spiritual appraises all things. He's speaking here of a spiritual man or, of course, a spiritual woman. We're going to let this chair um, in the center here, it's all nicely adorned. We're going to let this one represent the spiritual man or the spiritual woman. Paul writes and he says it's the spiritual man who appraises all things. That word appraises means discerns. Now, it doesn't mean that the, the, the person in this chair never makes a wrong choice. It doesn't mean that they never make a mistake or that they never commit a sin. The person who sits in this chair is a follower of Christ. They are what you would call a Christian. They are a believer, meaning they've come to the place in their life when they've realized, just as I spoke of earlier with Eric, who was baptized, they've come to the place where they've realized, I have sinned, I have blown it, God has already paid for it, he has already sent a Savior to die in my place. His name is Jesus, and I desperately need him. And the person who sits in this chair is the one who has already admitted their sin and invited Christ to come in, forgive them, and take over. Okay, They're not the perfect person. If you follow them long enough, they're still, you're going to find out they've still got a ways to go to be like Christ. But this is a genuine follower of Christ. Paul describes them, he who is spiritual appraises or discerns all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The person who sits in this chair is a follower of Christ wholeheartedly. Meaning when they wake up in the morning, so to speak, their prayer is, God, I'm not perfect. I need you desperately. Will you not use me and fill me and, and, uh, and, and share your life with me that I might know you, that I might walk with you, that I might impact other people for you? That's the person who sits in this chair. They understand how far they've got to go to be like Christ. But they have taken God up on his offer and they have turned from their sin and invited Jesus to take part and to take leadership of their life. He is their Savior. He is their Lord. They see things differently. Paul says they have the mind of Christ. Their values are different. This person here, the lost person, the one who doesn't know God, God's not on his radar, doesn't care about the things of God. It's all foolishness. Don't understand it. Don't agree with it. Sometimes they're hostile. Sometimes they're not. But God's just really not in there for them. This person here, the motivation of their life is motivated by self. Their values are, directed, are, are determined by self. Uh, what drives them, the purpose of their life, all of that is self-centered and self-driven. Life revolves around self in this chair. In this chair here, life revolves around Christ. It's not a matter of what can I get and, and who can I use up to get what I need. No, the person in this chair, the genuine, fully devoted follower of Christ, Christ is on the throne. Again, doesn't mean they do everything perfectly, but Christ is on the throne. Their motivations of this person's life is different. They spend money differently. They invest in things differently. They look at things not just from the here and now, but from eternity's perspective. They, they, they make decisions that this person doesn't make. They lead their family many times in ways this person doesn't. This life just looks different outwardly. It looks different. Their weekends are lived differently. Everything is different, genuinely, uh, about this person. Paul says they have the mind of Christ. They, they, spiritually, they are spiritually discerning. But then Paul goes on to a third group of people, and it's there that we move into chapter 3. Paul describes the third chair, the third person. Speaking to the Corinthian believers, he says, and I, brethren, notice he's speaking to Christians, right? This is a letter to a church 2,000 years ago. He calls them brethren. He says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. Oh, so that's what's going on with the high chair. Now, now I get it. This is the third chair. This is what we would say is filled by the fleshly man or the fleshly one you think what in the world is all that about whenever scripture speaks of living or walking in the flesh what it means is it's that life that is directed by self it's living in our own power making the best decisions we can in our own knowledge accomplishing what we can in our own strength without god finding or being given his rightful place that is the flesh driven life that's the way the bible speaks of that Paul looks at the Corinthian believers with all their issues, and he says, I, I could not even speak to you, even though you've accepted Christ. Paul says, I was with you for 18 months, Acts chapter 18. I planted that church. I was there when a lot of you gave your lives to Christ. I didn't baptize a whole lot of you, but I was there when you prayed and gave your life to Christ. Paul says, I know you. I know it was genuine. I know it was real. But now I look at you, and as a church collectively, you've got big issues. You're suing each other. You're, you're divisive. You're, you're choosing all your different cliques, and there's no, there, there's no people in your church family there 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 is sexual immorality running rampant you're misunderstanding the gifts that god has given you you're living prideful lives you're arrogant you're divisive all these things that are going on paul says i know i was there when you gave your life to christ i know you have a relationship with god but now we're looking three maybe four five years later paul says i can't even speak to you as spiritual people I have to come to you as infants in Christ. That's exactly what he's saying. I couldn't give you the the rich, the meat, the pure food of God's word. Look at what he says in verse 2. He says, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, three, four, five years later after you've accepted Christ, even now you're not yet able, for you are still fleshly. You're living in your own strength," he says. "For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? What an interesting statement that is, because what Paul says is when he looks at the believer, the Christian in this chair, living life, yeah, they think about God and they go to church and they, you know, they they pray and yeah, that, that's on their radar. But Christ is not the center of this person's life. Their decisions are rooted around self, their motivations, their drive of their life, what they're hungry for. Everything about them are for self. Self is on the throne. And Paul makes a shocking statement. I don't know if you caught it at the end. Like mere men. He says, you as a believer are living bypassing this year. You're living just like the guy to whom he looks at truth and says it's just a crock. It's a bunch of foolishness. This is the way you're living you should be this. You have a relationship with Christ and he died for you, he says. He has remade, you have been born all over again on the inside. You you are brand new creatures in Christ, Paul says that. You are brand new and yet you are living like infants, living like a person who doesn't even know him. There is no evidence outwardly in your life, he says, that you even have a relationship with God, much less any knowledge of who He is. And it's a reminder, as we read through these passages, it's a stark reminder that there is no free pass to a mature life or to a godly life. Let me say this. This chair here, the person who doesn't know Christ, is probably filled by more people than we realize in this building this morning. More than we realize. Didn't say you don't go to church. Didn't say you don't do religious stuff. But when it comes to the leadership of your life, you've never surrendered control of your life to Christ. And you know it. You do the church thing well. You might even be a member here. But you know Christ never has been your Lord. More people fill this chair in this building today than we realize. Less people fill this chair here today than we realize people who do it really well on the outside but on the inside they do not have a genuine relationship with christ less people feel this than we could ever even imagine this chair to your left is probably if our church is like the majority of churches in this country where the emphasis is on the outward entertain me make me comfortable bless me keep me filled but when it comes to living a sacrificial life as christ did as his followers did living a life that puts him on display consistently, not just on the high seasons like Christmas and Easter when we go feed the homeless our one time every year, but where we genuinely live our lives and surrender to him. More people are in this chair. A life of sacrifice and surrender and will you be my Lord? No, 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 not even on the radar. Oh, I prayed. I'm genuinely a a, a Christian. I, I genuinely did really accept Christ. But this is where I sit. More people than any other category in this building today, I would say sit right here in this seat. And you say Brooks, what is what's the big deal about all this? The big deal is that there's no free pass to a mature life or godly life. And there will be a time for us when we desperately want that maturity, when those winds begin to blow and the waters begin to rise and our life hits some pretty rough spots. We're going to hope for that maturity and it doesn't come in a night. Whenever our, we get that phone call in the middle of the night and it's our child who needs help, and we wish that we would have poured in some values maybe that we didn't the years before, that maturity is not going to come by the time you hang that phone up and get to where they are. That kind of wisdom doesn't come overnight. It comes from developing a relationship. That's why it's important. And there's no free pass. If we look elsewhere in Scripture, what we find is, is that in the book of James, turn there with me if you will, if you, if you don't have it or don't know where it is, we've got it on the overhead. But in the book of James, we find that Much the same is being said from a little bit of a different perspective. James, again, as Paul is not talking about chairs, he's talking about people. But he's detailing the same three people that fill each of these chairs. And every person here fills one of them. Every one of us fills one of these chairs today. Notice what James says. Chapter 4, verse 1. He says, what is the source of quarrels, conflicts among you? He's writing to believers. So you're all fighting, you're all mad at each other, there's conflicts, you are always arguing, bickering, no peace amongst you even though you claim to serve a prince of peace. What's the source of all this going on? It's not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members. In other words, self on the throne. Verse 2, he says, you lust and you don't have, so you commit murder. You're envious, you can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. James is describing the person in the high chair. You've got a relationship with God, he says, but the, the motivations of your life, the values of your life, what gets you up in the morning, what keeps you awake at night are not the same things that drive the person with a close walk with Christ. No, you're living just like the person who doesn't even know him. Notice what he says, verse 4. Well, you, talk about, you talk about strong. Here it is. He says, you adulteresses. How would you, how would you like to go out to your mailbox tomorrow, right? You get a letter from a long-lost friend, and uh, you say, all right, I got a letter. You rip it open, you start to read it, and this is what you get called. That, that, that'd, be, that'd be kind of cage-rattling, wouldn't it? Yeah. Anybody want a letter like that? I don't think I do. So this is what James says, you adulteresses, he says in this letter. It doesn't take him long to get there. You adulteresses, why does he say this? He's not being mean, wicked, and nasty. What he's saying is he's looking from a spiritual perspective. And when he looks at the believers here, James, when he looks at the believers that he's speaking to, he says, in a a spiritual sense, you are being completely unfaithful to God. You claim to have a relationship with him. You You are just like a person who commits physical adultery. You claim a relationship on one hand, but you're doing something on the side that nobody is pleased with. You are spiritually unfaithful, he says, to the God that you claim to know. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? And then he even gets stronger. He says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. In other words, if you want to live even as a believer, if you want to live like this man, to where God's not on the radar, he doesn't drive your decisions, he doesn't shape your motivations, he's not the primary purpose of your life. He's you only come to him when you need help. He doesn't do anything to shape your values. You don't live your life with Christ in the in the in the crosshairs at all. No, he he's not even on the radar. If this is the way you want to live, even if you did pray a prayer and even if you are a believer and if you even if you do claim to be a Christian, if this is the way you're going to live, Understand this, James says, you are setting yourself up as an enemy of God. Plain and simple. Spiritual adultery, enemy of God. This chair, even though it's filled by the most people in each of our two services today, and in every church in this country, I would say, more often than not, this chair is filled by the most people there. Even though it is inhabited by a believer, listen to the language that God says. You're living like an enemy of God himself. And I'll be honest, I have filled this chair more than my fair share times. More than my fair share. Look at what he says as he goes on verses 7 through 10. He says, he begins to give a lot of commands and he keeps it simple. And I love it. James is like the New Testament Proverbs, it's just simple and easy to follow. He begins throwing out verbs submit therefore to God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You know the reason why some Christians have such a hard time resisting the enemy? It's because we don't get the submitting to God part first. (laughs) We try to resist the devil and do better in our own strength, but God's really not in his rightful place. He's not in the center of our life like a spiritual man, and we try to resist in our own strength, and we end up giving in eventually. James says, First, submit to God, every bit of you, 100%. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. (laughs) What a great promise. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, shape up your life. Do the things that are right. Live a life of obedience on the outside and let the motivation of your life, your heart, let it be pure from the inside. The two will work together. Verse 9, he says, be miserable and mourn and weep. Oh, I thought the Christian life was supposed to be a life of joy. Yes, it is, absolutely. But if we let sin take a place that it doesn't need to take in our lives, it will be everything but joyful. This seat right here is the most miserable seat that a Christian will ever inhabit, ever. This seat is much more miserable than that seat over here for the lost person. He says, no, you've got to hate your sin. You've got to mourn over your sin. Be miserable, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves. He says something big here. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. The biggest difference between these two chairs, some of you are sitting right here today. You you know you have a relationship with Christ. You know heaven is going to be your home. You remember when you gave your heart to Christ and it was genuine, the best that you could. You are a believer, and yet you are not fully devoted. Christ is not the center of your life. You're doing stuff on the side. You're doing things on your weekends you're operating at work you have very little values that reflect scripture this is the seat you sit in and you know it the difference between this seat and this seat oftentimes is humility the person in this seat over here the high chair the carnal christian the fleshly christian self is on the throne the one who puts self to the side and lets christ take his rightful place and who sits in the spiritual seat so to speak is the humble person and james says humble yourselves in the presence of the lord And he will exalt you. And so I have a real simple question this morning. A question that only you can answer. But a question that I think you can answer now. After understanding what these words say. And the question is this. Of these three seats, which one do you sit on today? I'm not saying, well, I had a bad morning today and I kind of snapped at the kids and I snapped at my husband or snapped at my wife. I guess I'm kind of, in the, I'm not talking about just the last, you know, two hours. I'm saying where your life is at this stage, which of these three chairs is yours? Which one do you occupy at this place in your life? I know who God is, but I don't know him because I've never given my life to Christ. I've genuinely not only given my life to Christ, but I follow him the best I can every day of my life. He's in the center. Yes, I have a long way to go. Yes, I have my struggles. Yes, I still commit my sin. But I keep a short list, and my heart is moldable and pliable. I am humbly yielded and devoted the best I can to follow Jesus each and every day. Or oh, I pray to prayer, and I go to church, and I know I'm right with God. But in my heart, I know as well I'm not right with God. He's not even anywhere near the center of my radar. I say a prayer. I read my Bible from time to time. I go to church, but he doesn't run my life. Not one part, two parts, or for some, not any part. This is where I am, an infant in Christ, unable to handle the true depths of God because his spirit is not my lead. So which chair is yours? There's a a second principle that I want you to recognize as we close, and it's going to tie all this together, and the principle is this, is that changing chairs requires new allegiance. It requires it. If you're going to change chairs, it's going to require new allegiance for you and for me. If you sit in this chair, you're the natural man, God's not been on your radar, you haven't desired a relationship with Him until today or recently and yet you feel something in you, there's a stirring that, you know what, this all makes sense, and I've made a mess of my life, or maybe I've been a huge success, but I am empty. There is a vacuum in my life that needs to be filled, and I understand today that I need to be right with God. For you to move from this chair to this chair is going to require new allegiance, where you no longer serve self, but you place your allegiance in the person of Jesus Christ. It requires new allegiance. Here's the thing to understand, however, is this works both ways. For you to move from this chair over to this one is going to require a new allegiance as well. Uh, you'll never say it as a spoken verbal command to God. You'll probably never even realize where it takes place, but there will be a point where your allegiance is changed from the person of Christ back to yourself again. And you'll begin to live just like the lost man, you'll begin to make decisions just like the lost fella. You'll begin to follow the same motivations and the same pursuits of this world and you'll be hungry for the taste of the same things that a person doesn't even know Christ does. And your allegiance will shift from the one who gave everything on your behalf and who has already given everything more than what you and I even deserve. It will shift from him to you. And it will require a new allegiance. You don't get here by accident. It's a change of allegiance. Here's the good news is that if you fill this seat today, and you're ready to change, the same truth applies. It's a simple change of allegiance. And that's expressed through a simple prayer that says, God, I know that I'm in relationship with you, and I know that I've, I've wandered, and it's time to come home. And though I've fallen so far short, I thank you that I'm forgiven.